Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is September 26th, Wednesday, and we are reading from the big book, Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, beginning on page 32, uh, the second paragraph, A Man of 30. Our readers for today, in the order that they will be reading, are Michelle, Fran, Sharon R.S., and Judy B. The share number for Tuesday, September 25th, yesterday, is 3066. Anne-Marie, let's see, the OA preamble. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne-Marie to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Lois, would you now read the 12 traditions? I would be happy to. This is Lois, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 traditions. 
One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our, our leaders are but trusted servants. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters of affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend uh, the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, uh, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous shall remain forever non-profit, or non-professional, excuse me, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may recreate special boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book, Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 32. The subject
second full paragraph, which begins, A Man of 30. Michelle, would you start reading that paragraph, please? Yes, thank you, Victoria. Good morning. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Michelle, recovered compulsive overeater in Missouri. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. Um, reflecting back that we are in the chapter called More About Alcoholism, and um, we have a story here of a man who was, um, as he said, bone dry for 25 years. And um, it goes on to say that um, he knew in the beginning when he started this process of stopping his drinking, that he couldn't be successful and he couldn't get anywhere. He could get nowhere if he drank at all. And um, this reminds me of when I first came into Overeaters Anonymous and um, first had the realization that there were certain foods that if I ingested them, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. There were certain foods, sugar, flour. Um, and so I couldn't get anywhere because I'd keep going back to the food so I came to the realization, um, people in the room had shared with me that um, I needed to stop. I needed to stop ingesting these foods. And then if I did, um, then that, that craving would go away. But what I was really there for was the weight loss. Um, that was the success I was looking for, uh, weight loss, because I was sure that that was the answer to all my problems. And if I look back at the beginning of this chapter it said that no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. And I, I um, believe I still had reservations that I was, I was different because when I stopped ingesting the food, the weight did come off, and I looked on the outside like everybody else. When I refer to everybody else, I mean those normal eaters, those people who could eat the things that I really wanted to eat um, without the repercussions of uh, weight loss and um, waking up feeling miserable and guilty the next morning. And so, um, you know what, I, I decided I decided all by myself that, yes, I can, I can stop eating these foods. Everybody else, there's people um, in OA that have put the food down, and, and I'm seeing weight losses, and that looks good to me. And so I had a period of abstinence that lasted two and a half years. 
And the lesson I'm learning here is the lesson that I learned, that it doesn't matter how long a period of sobriety or abstinence of putting the food down or self-discipline, um, I am never going to be qualified. Um, I like that word qualified. It really jumped out at me. I'm never going to be qualified to um, eat as normal people. And I looked up the word qualified, and it said competent or knowledgeable to do something. And what I wanted to be qualified to do was competent and knowledgeable um, about keeping the weight off. I thought that was the solution to a happier life. And um, I found out that um, I, I had some reservations. I, I didn't concede to my innermost self that I was a compulsive overeater, that I had this problem. I wanted to be like other people, and so I was going through the motions. I had heard that abstinence is the most important thing without exception in my life, and that's what I embraced, and that's what I held on to. But like Jim, um, I started getting dependent on um, the length of my abstinence and um, this disease being cunning and baffling, that mental obsession was always with me. Hadn't, hadn't gotten that far in the program yet to know about that, but I certainly learned it um, because when I picked up, I understand just how the humiliated I felt when I couldn't stop. And I certainly didn't want to tell people that I had picked up and I hadn't stopped. So I was going to try and muster everything that I could within me to stop again and get that abstinence back, put the food down. And it was um, a couple of years before I was able to um, hear the message of this program that I could not do this on my own, that I needed a power greater than myself. I needed to surrender. It wasn't about abstinence. Uh, it wasn't about length of abstinence. It wasn't about self-will. It wasn't about self-discipline um, because all I was achieving, if I was achieving anything at all, was what was looking like on the outside. I don't know how miserable this man was in his business, but I certainly was miserable in my business of living. And um, this, this, this story is a great lesson and reminder to me that um, abstinence is definitely not the most important thing in my life without exception. It's um, finding the solution, which is a power greater than myself. Thank you for allowing me to share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Would someone like to share on what was just read? Yes, thank you. Penny E? Penny E, good morning. Please go ahead. Morning to you. Penny E, recovered compulsive overeater. You know, this sounds absolutely ridiculous, like some of the other stories, the Jay Walker and everything, uh, those stories. But every day we see this in Overeaters Anonymous. Then he fell victim, victim, you know, to a belief the obsession of the mind, which practically every alcoholic has had, has, has that a long period of sobriety and self-discipline has qualified him to drink as other men. And again, this is the difference between abstinence and recovered, you know, dry and recovered. Uh, abstinence is just the beginning so many of us have been working programs of abstinence rather than programs of recovery. And uh, 
We see this day in and day out. People who are working programs of abstinence cross their heart, hope to die. They're not going to pick up. They're not going to pick up. And we do have a lot of willpower. You know, we do have a lot of willpower. And they don't pick up, you know, until the daughter's wedding. And they don't pick up until, you know, the bathing suit season. You know, we can put down the food. We can put down the food. But the disease requires us requires us to pick up if we don't have that spiritual spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery so uh again this is the insanity of the obsession of the mind that crazy thinking you know that i can just have one i've been doing this so long this is my daughter's wedding it costs a million trillion dollars and i am going to have you know that peace it's insanity to think that on any day, any day, that uh, this disease is not going to get me, not going to get me. So I think this is a wonderful reminder that um, sobriety, abstinence, putting down the substance is but a beginning, you know, and there's a whole lot more. So thank you for letting me share, everybody. Have a God-filled day. Thank you. Would someone else like to comment on what was read? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, everybody. My name is Monica. I am a a (laughs) recovered, I almost said retired, (laughs) recovered compulsive overeater who does happen to be retired. Anyway, in this chapter, more about alcoholism. Here, Bill is is writing us a story here, and there's a number of stories in this particular chapter, and he's trying to show us something with each of these stories that uh, we have a greater aspect to this disease, and that's the obsession of the mind. It's that crazy thinking that we have. And then this man, a man of 30, he, he knows he has no control when he picks up the liquor, so he makes up his mind that he's not going to drink it. And he does that for 25 years. But he also, it goes on, he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. And here's where the obsession of the mind comes in. The, yeah, hey, you've been a great guy, you've uh, worked really hard here for 25 years, you've been successful at your at your business, and uh, you made this goal that when you reach this point, you'd be able to drink again. And so he picks up again. You know, he has a belief, you know, and just because we have a belief, it doesn't make it right. You know, well, as uh, compulsive overeaters, we can... We can think up all kinds of things. We can rationalize any type of idea and, and really believe it. But it doesn't mean that it's right. And so his thinking wasn't right here. And he picks up, and in four years, even though he wants to stop, he cannot. So what happened to this man? Yeah, he put the alcohol down, but he didn't work on anything else. You know, this is a twofold disease. And how do we get recovery from the obsession of the mind? It's a spiritual disease, and we need a spiritual solution. He didn't work those steps. He didn't have those steps like we do today, those 12 steps that will get you the um, recovery, the, the spiritual awakening, the personality change, the God greater than you that can overcome the obsession of the mind. And with that, I'll pass.
Thank you, Monica. This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And this, this whole paragraph talks about the game changer, the big game changer, the thing that changes everything about this disease. And that is just what the obsession of the mind means, what it's about. Because when I came in, I was really convinced the problem was not in my mind. The problem was the food. And I focused all of my attention on that problem. I had no clue that my problem was the mind because a sick mind can't cure a sick mind. And my mind wasn't telling me, Victoria, your problem is your mind. It was telling me, my problem was the food. And so the big book, the big book offers me a key here that is an absolute game changer in my recovery. It lets me know, as this passage says, then he fell victim to a belief that practically every alcoholic has. I was being victimized by a belief. I wasn't being victimized by life, which is what I thought. I was being victimized by my own mind. That is the nature of obsession. Obsession is like a runaway train. You know, it's like a prairie fire once it gets started. It takes everything in its path. The obsession of the mind told me one bite doesn't matter. Even though this passage makes it very clear, once he started, he had no control, whatever. My mind wipes out that amnesia, that, that awareness, and replaces it with amnesia. That is the obsession of the mind. My mind tells me one bite won't matter. So my problem, the big book is telling me, more than any other, once I put the food down and the cravings have been quieted, the physical allergy has been neutralized, then, although my mind tells me, the problem's now taken care of. It does not exist for me. The problem exists in my mind. And at 25 years, that problem still exists. What I'm going to learn is that the problem doesn't have to exist for me for today. Just this 24 hours. At 10 years of abstinence, which I miraculously experience, I am acutely aware that all I have is this day. I have a reprieve for this day only. My mind does not tell me I can pick up the first bite. Because of a spiritual experience, my mind lets me remember that that first bite will kill me. Because when I pick it up, I have no control whatsoever. That's if I am working the steps today and practicing the spiritual principles in all my affairs because the solution is spiritual. But it doesn't carry me into tomorrow. 
I've got to work that spiritual solution that I'm given, which is all about a higher power doing for me what I can never do for myself. And with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share on what was read? This is Janice. Yes, Janice. Good morning. Go ahead. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, I think it's very significant that they decided, these first 100 alcoholics, to include this story in the big book so that I could identify, so that I could identify. Because they're telling us here, there's no way of proving it, but for some of us, we believe early in our drinking careers, we could have stopped if we had that overwhelming desire to do so. And so they're telling us this story of the man of 30. And he was doing a great deal of spree drinking. A great deal of spree drinking. And he was pretty nervous about it when he woke up in the morning. He was pretty nervous about it. And the chatter in his head could only be quieted by more liquor. You know, it was unsettling to him. It was unsettling. And he had this overwhelming desire to succeed. He had this overwhelming desire to succeed. And so he made up his mind. He made up his mind that until he was successful, until he reached the goal, he was not going to touch another drop. And they tell us he's an exceptional man. He was an exceptional man, and so he did it. And so he did it. Bone dry. Bone dry for 25 years. And once he started again, when he was 55, he was hopelessly, helplessly, alcoholically drinking in a very short period of time. And you know, the truth is, I had very few periods when I did not eat compulsively or show the signs of weight gain. And when I did have those times, it was mostly because I was using other methods to try to control it, whether it was over-exercising, restricting amphetamines, you know, I did it all. But what I see clearly was lack of power was his dilemma because once he decided that he could drink like other men and that that period of time when he'd been abstinent from the liquor meant that he was a normal drinker, he picked up again. He picked up again. And when he picked up again, what happened to him? In two months, he was in the hospital, puzzled, humiliated, could not stop, could not stop. And once I stopped, I could not stop myself from starting again. Eventually, the inevitable would always happen. You know, it's like holding your breath underwater. Eventually, you have to come to the surface and take a breath, take a bite, and then the phenomenon of craving and the obsession, and you're off and running. Every means of solving his problem at that point in time. Everything that money could buy him, every doctor that was available, every, everything he could possibly think of to try was at his disposal, and he could not do it. He could not do it. Went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. Dead within four years. You know, I know that is me. I have lost the power of choice. I am a compulsive overeater of the most critical variety. It's never going to be different for me. 
You know, it doesn't matter what wedding's coming up, what graduation, what anniversary party, what promotion at work. Nothing, nothing can keep me except that higher power. Save me from myself. Save me from myself. And so there are alcoholics of this type. And perhaps there are compulsive overeaters of this type that early on, early on in their drinking careers, you might stop. But that was not true for me today. Not true for me today. And I agree, I only have today. And I can hang on with all my might, work the steps as if my life depends on it, because that is the way to the higher power. That is the way to willingness and joy and peace and happiness and a contented, a contented recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to comment on on this paragraph? This is Katie. Katie, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. This is Katie, a compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, Yes, this paragraph is, it sounds absurd, really, but, um, but it's true that that is the disconnect between uh, thinking that we have just a physical problem and understanding that we have a mental problem. Uh, I tried this. I didn't understand the twofold nature of the disease, and I was in OA um, and pretty much free of sugar for five years. And I thought, well, surely I will never go back to the way I used to eat sugar. Well, I did. And I really was on this path of this man of 30. Um, I was a woman of 26, and I, I was headed for death. I mean, if I had, I don't think I, I would have lived for four years with eating that way, um, the way I was, and the mental torture that I was going through of just unbelievable self-hate and, and all the things that come from this disease that is not associated with the food. I mean, it, it wasn't the food, it was the mental torture that, um, that almost killed me. And I had to hit that bottom in order to then listen with an open mind to what this program really is about. It is not about finding the per- perfect food plan and about getting to a thin body. Yes, I have those things today. But it's not, um, that is not the end all and be all of my existence. I have a relationship with God. I have replaced my obsession with food with an obsession with my higher power. I feel I'm almost obsessed with this meeting. It's like I just soak it up like a sponge every day. And I feel so empowered by knowing that all these people are on this line every day wanting this recovery. Um, that's the opposite of how I lived my life in disease. When I was in disease, I wanted to hide. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. Now my life's an open book. And I, but I could not get there when I thought that um, I could just control this with some sort of uh, controlled type of behavior. Um, and that's the thing that's missing in this man's story. Yes, for 25 years, he was a, a successful businessman. But it doesn't say he enlarged his spiritual life. It doesn't say, it really doesn't say anything about the rest of his, his existence, except he had, it, it sounds like normal, which I really have no idea what normal's like. I've never lived normal. 
Um, so I'm really grateful that, that this is in here because if there is someone out there who has never, um, you know, thinks that they have some semblance of control, well, they can go back out and try um, try to pick up their food and see what happens. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would someone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Bridget. Bridget, good morning. Go ahead, please. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, the part that I'm interested or that's jumping out at me is the sentence after that a lot of people are reading, which is, out came as carpet slippers and a bottle. Um, for me, that symbolizes sort of the romance and uh, temptation of uh, taking the first bite. You know, we have these, yeah, kind of romantic ideas about where I, sometimes I fall prey to romantic ideas about what it was like to uh, overeat and binge. And so uh, there is some sort of false memory that it was really, uh, yeah, carpet slippers. Like, A, that, there, that there's some... Um, appeal to it, and B, you can wear carpet slippers anyway. You don't have to be, you know, drinking to put on carpet slippers and relax. So um, that's something, I guess, that where I'm at in my recovery now that I'm uh, really, that, that just helps me put some words on some temptations that I face and uh, just put it in perspective. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Bridget. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, good morning. This is Melanie, compulsive overeater. I would like to share, please. Good morning, Melanie. Go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, Victoria. Orienting myself to the sentence above, or the paragraph above says um, why they put this in here, and that was to show um, that uh, there are definite signs of alcoholism that uh, were a sufficient enough idea to come along. There could be a long period of abstaining involved in there. And so I just wanted to add my experience with this, and I've read this a few times over in my recovered time, and I have always said, this is not like me. This is not like me. So I couldn't have possibly shown signs of um, being a compulsive overeater because, number one, this guy was certainly uh, much more strong in countenance or thinking or all those kinds of things, and I ever could have been because I have no no experience in my life that says I have come up with an idea and I'm going to stop for this reason. What threw me was the span of time, and for my life's sake, needed to find a way in which I could identify in. So a period of time, what's my long period of time? Um, I was able to, through through studying this and living this, understand that there was a shortened gap, um, a narrow gap, that my period of time I had had a moment uh, that I was able to be um, successful on a diet for a weekend or a month. Maybe there was a time that I was successful for a year, and this describes the um, the progression of the disease. But more importantly, that I would love to be able to to identify with the thinking and that has been so well described here in this book and that it really does center in my mind. I wanted to not identify in with this particular gentleman here. I couldn't understand why it was put into the big book because there was 
clearly he was a success all the way around and couldn't make the connection to, but the truth of the matter is, is that my life depends on finding some way and some place to identify in with what this gentleman, in fact, um, experienced. And I could when I narrowed the gap and when I could see that, that, um, that for me as an eater, I did have moments where I continued then to tell myself I had success and that I was a winner over this thing about being obese and this deal about eating, that it was arrested when I had a successful bout with a weigh-in pay or I had a successful bout with any other food plan or diet plan that I came up with, and the truth of the matter, it wasn't. Um, so that's what I wanted to offer out there is that we continue to look at ways that we identify in with these things, not in the particular specifics of a story. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? This is Paula. May I share? Yes, Paula. Go ahead, please. Well, so much has been said. So much, and, and uh, much needed here because you know we're looking here at insanity itself, and it, it's confusing. But this line here. Then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline, what a good boy am I, what a good girl am I, God knows I deserve a reward for this, had qualified him. There it is. There it is. Well, now, now, and I know somebody else used the word qualify. I see it as almost a, like, a reward, like again, I'm going to use the word reward. I've been so good. But I didn't want to be this good. I really wanted to do the thing that I wanted to do all along, and it was sitting there. So that qualified him to drink as other men. Uh, the insane thought was still there, very deep, perhaps. And I guess that's very clear because look at the years that passed. Out came the copper slippers, fine enough, as was said. But what did he bring along with it? And a bottle. Ah, there it is. Come on, at the end of a long day, haven't you said the same thing? Oh, Lord, what I put up with within this day. Lord, I worked 30 years without this. Now I'm entitled. In two months, that was it. Honey, it was still a waiting. That seed was still a growing. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Fran, would you continue on with the next paragraph, please? Good morning. This is Fran, Compulsive Overeater. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we have remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who had 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol, and I pass. Thank you, Fran. Would someone like to comment on what was just read? 
Hi, good morning. This is Lois. Can I share? Yes, Lois. Good morning. Please go ahead. Good morning, Victoria. Yeah, I wanted to comment on this, too, in the previous paragraph where it said, you know, this contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober or abstinent for a long period stretch, we could then, uh, therefore, eat normally. Um, th- this, this is not my experience. Um, I, I was not in touch with my specific thoughts that I could eat normally. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have access to, my, to, to, the, to the mind. Or the, or that, the biggest part of my obsession was the mind. But when I first came into uh, the rooms of OA, uh, I would say like 19, I mean 2000, 2001, 19, 2001, I I had the gift of desperation. I was willing to follow directions and go to any lengths. And I I did that. I I remained um, abstinent. I had a sponsor. I, I stopped eating my binge foods, and I lost a lot of weight. And I felt wonderful. And um, and I continued to go to meetings, and I was you know very I was very uh, interested. I I had a lot of OA friends, and I was as happy as a clam, you know. And um and I was under the impression, you know, uh, the belief that if if I remained abstinent for a long time, you know, that I I could I could eat like normal people. Now I did not have access to my belief, you know, my the, the largest part of my disease, my mind. Um, I did not have access to that because, of course, and I didn't know that now, that I, I had not, you know, sought out the spiritual, um, my spiritual, my spiritual, I'm sorry, I just, my spiritual, I hadn't sought out the spiritual answer, and I was not, I did not jump right into the 12 steps. I didn't know, I didn't know then, I didn't know that um, that I had a spiritual disease. I'd read that, but I had no knowledge of that. Um, I had gone to the uh, the rooms of OA, you know, lovingly and for a long time, all through those five years, and very slowly, you know, because I was not recovered, my mind was still distorted, and it was believing the lie or the belief, you know, that, well, look at how well I've done all by myself. And I really did, even though I was asking God every morning, I wasn't really, I didn't really have an honest, open relationship with God. I really thought that I had done it following all of these, you know, tools in, in Overeaters Anonymous. And and I continued to um, to do this. And little by little, you know, the disease started to work in me again. And I totally relapsed. After five years, I was I was stunned. You know, I, I just was stunned. I was devastated. And so once again, it sent me back to the rooms of OA. But that this is, I just wanted to relate that I, it wasn't 25 years for me, but it was a normal for, for a compulsive overeater. I know many people like me, you know, had just gone on, and I was still working. I was still working the diet mode. I had that in my mind, and um, and I had no knowledge of of the spiritual part of my disease or the spiritual recovery. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. Who else would like to share on what was read? This is Kelly B. I'm sorry, could you say your names again? I couldn't hear. This is Janice. Janice. Okay, Janice and then Kim, please. Go ahead. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you very much. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. 
you know, that is a that is such a significant statement there and it's in you know, it's in a place where it says, Pay attention, pay attention. Once an alcoholic, we have seen the truth demonstrated again and again, they say. Again and again. Well, I don't know if you're the kind of compulsive overeater that I am, but I saw that truth demonstrated again and again for me as well. You know, I stopped hundreds of times. I stopped hundreds of times, but I could never stop myself from starting again. And that's what we're seeing here. You know, it was a a powerful lesson. It was a powerful lesson. So no matter how many periods of being dry, no matter how many periods of being abstinent, not having my hand in the cellophane bag, not picking up the bakery box, you know, not picking up the carton and sitting in the dark in a parking lot eating out of the carton, no matter how many periods I had where I could stop doing that, I could never stop myself from starting again. You know, it says, in a short period of time, we are as bad as we ever were. We are as bad as we ever were. Strong statement. Strong statement. But the truth of that hit me hard. The truth of that hit me hard. You know, I came in, I came in with no plan of my own anymore. No plan of my own anymore. No reservations that this time I'm going to pull it all together and do it differently. I came because I needed help. I came because I had no lurking notion that somehow, someday, I could enjoy and control my eating anymore. That was long gone. That was gone. And once I got to that place, it was a blessed relief. It was a blessed relief and a relief to get to that step one where I knew I was powerless. In my heart of hearts, I knew I was powerless. And my life was unmanageable and had been tumbling down around my ears for a good long time when I stopped long enough to look at the truth, to look at the truth. So it says, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol, immune to the food. I have this allergy of the body, and it will always be with me, always be with me. And the obsession of the mind so powerful that by my own will, by my own human will, I could not stop. But there would be, there would be a solution and a way out through this spiritual program, through the working of the 12 steps. Work those steps as if my life depended on it because they did. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Kim, would you go ahead, please? Thanks, Victoria. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. So this is step one. We have to do step one 100%. I have to know what my problem is. Because if I don't know what my problem was, why do I care about a solution? So no lurking notion. And I had a lot of lurking notions. I'm fat. That's my problem. It wasn't even the food. It was that I was fat. And since I'm fat, people ignore me and people look down on me and I don't get the respect I deserve. So if I can get not fat, that will make me be okay. 
You know, the problem is because I'm fat, I don't have a boyfriend. If I get thin, I get a boyfriend, then that boyfriend will help me to stay thin because that's the goal. That's what I want. You know, I'll be able to get the job I want. I'll be able to do other things. So I had no idea what my problem was. You know, and, and I thought, well, well, if I lose the weight, because the problem is I can't exercise in being obese. So if I lose the weight, then I can use the exercise, and the exercise will allow me to eat what I want and still keep the weight off. Because the problem is I have to only consume 2,000 calories a day. And it doesn't matter what that food is. As long as I can contain myself at 2,000 calories a day, then, then I'll be cured. You know, and that's what says, that is we have to admit that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. We concentrate so much on the symptoms. We concentrate on the symptoms. And if we can manipulate those symptoms, then the disease will go away. Unfortunately, that is not true because once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I will always have this allergy. Always have this allergy. But even when I put down the food, that of the mind is going to convince me that I don't need this program, that I am okay as long as I can control the symptoms. So we have to have no reservations of any kind. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and I'd like to comment on this paragraph. You know, stepping back, it's um, in the big book, we're told that we have a threefold disease, physical, mental, and spiritual. And the doctor's opinion told us a lot about the physical disease and intimated about a problem of the mind when we were told that the effects of alcohol were so elusive that after a time, we would not be able to distinguish the true from the false. But in this chapter, more about alcoholism, we're really diving in to an understanding of what the obsession of the mind really means. And that is the mental disease. The big book doesn't say anything about an emotional disease. It talks about a mental disease, and that mental disease is the obsession of the mind. I certainly had runaway emotions, but they all started with a belief or a perception in a sick mind. And in this, in this paragraph, we're told that in order to stop drinking, we have to have no reservation of any kind, no lurking notion that I'm ever going to be immune to alcohol. One of the things the disease of the mind has told me is that it's not a life or death disease. It's food, for heaven's sakes. It's not a controlled substance. You know, the alcoholics, the drug addicts, you know, that's really dangerous stuff. But how dangerous can food be? And we're given a, an example here of someone who abstained entirely for 25 years but went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. And despite all of the evidence of how this disease of compulsive eating maims, cripples, and kills people, the obsession of the mind would tell me, if I'm not spiritually fit today, that it's all right to pick up that first bite. It's not that serious. 
it's not a life or death disease, despite what the passage tells me. In order to accept once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, as this paragraph says, I have to believe who and what I am. I have to actually believe it. And my old belief was not that I had a life-threatening disease that could not be cured. My old idea was that if I only got qualified enough by living day after day, year after year, without picking up, I was okay now because that was the proof. Look at all that time I hadn't picked up. And that is the cunning, baffling aspect of this disease. The obsession of the mind is about stealth. It is about the stealth of the mental disease that tells me after 25 years, like this man, the problem's gone away. I have proved that I am qualified to eat like other people. And it is only the spiritual solution that clears my mind so that, in fact, the problem does not exist for me today. But that doesn't mean I'm qualified. It only proves the spiritual solution works one day at a time. I will pass. We have time for one more comment on what was read. This is Paula Mascia. Yes, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. It says clearly the first line. This case contains, this is what it holds, a powerful lesson. We need that. We need a powerful lesson. Because, see, we're still in power, and they're trying to show us that. But I like this part here. He says, we have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. I mean, it isn't a, oh, I only saw the truth once. You know, I, I didn't know. I forgot. You know, uh, I wasn't quite sure. Could that be the truth for me? No. Again and again and again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And then that part that you zeroed in on, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind. You don't hold back here. Nor any lurking notion. That's hidden. Something's lurking is hidden. Sometimes very deep. But, honey, because it's hidden, doesn't mean it's not there. It's there. It's just hidden. You know, we are who we are. And oftentimes, you know how they say, oh, you know, well, you can't make uh, brown eyes blue. But now they have contact lenses. But, honey, at the end of the day, you take your contact lenses off. They call it indeed. But no, sweetheart, your eyes aren't blue, they're brown. Not any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. Still got those blue eyes, girl. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. 
Sharon RF, would you please read a vision for you? Yes, this is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And I pass. Thank 